hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuibby. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I talk to all sorts of folks from northern Nevada who are doing interesting or important work. Try to talk to a little bit of everyone. My goal is that this can be the podcast for everyone. If you live in northern Nevada and you listen to podcasts, there's probably episodes that you might find interesting. We've done a little bit over 100 episodes, so feel free to scroll back through that list of previous guests. I'm sure you'll find someone that you're interested in. We've done a lot of really great episodes that I'm very proud of. Recently, I got to participate in a program called the Washoe County Leadership Academy. It was an eight-month-long program, one full day, once a month for eight months, to learn about what the county does. So with a group of other folks from different industries, we visited all different parts of the county operations, learned what the county does behind the scenes, how it all works. It was really fascinating. And our guest today is here to talk a little bit more about what the county does. It is our very own county manager, Eric Brown. County manager Brown has been in that position for about three and a half years. On today's episode, we talked about what a county manager does, the difference between the county commission and the county manager, the different responsibilities between those different roles, the functions of the county. There are more than you might expect. The county is very big. It's over half a million people. They take care of a lot of things that you might not even consider. We had a lot of conversation about things the county does, how it all works, as well as Manager Brown's background. He comes to us from the private sector, from the telecommunications and consumer goods world, as well as a background in athletics. He was a member of the United States Olympic team in track and field. We talked a little bit as well about how sports have influenced his way of thinking and working with people. It was great to learn about the county in the Washoe County Leadership Academy, which is now open for applications for its second year. So if you find this conversation interesting, you might think about signing up for that. Before we get to today's interview, a couple quick requests for you. The second round of voting for Reno News and Reviews Best of Northern Nevada is now open, and Renoites is one of the top contenders for Best Podcast. So I hope you will take a moment to vote for Renoites as Best Podcast. There's a link in my bio on Instagram. Very easy to find, or you can just go to vote.renonr.com. That's vote.renonr.com, Reno News and Review. And cast your ballot. Make sure you vote in at least 10 different categories so that your ballot will count. Renoites is under Best Podcast, which is in the culture section. So I would love to win Best Podcast. That would be very fun and help me reach some more people. So take a moment, if you can, and go to renonr.com and vote for Renoites as Best Podcast. If you have suggestions for future guests, please let me know. Send me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. We are nearing the end of the season, which means it is time for me to start thinking about the next one. So definitely looking for your guest suggestions. Again, that's Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And follow me on Instagram, at renoites. Also a very good way to keep in touch. And now, this week's guest on the podcast, Washoe County Manager, Eric Brown. County Manager, Eric Brown. Welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you on the show. So you are the the county manager for Washoe County, and this show is Reno White, so we talk about Reno, but the county obviously has a lot to do with how things work in Reno and this whole region, but I think a lot of people don't know exactly what a county manager does. We don't really have like a mayor for the county, but is that the closest thing? We don't vote for you. So what is, like, what is a county manager, and how does it relate to other types of area political type positions? Yeah, you're right. Most people have no idea when I tell them I'm the Washoe County Manager, it is not an elected position. It is appointed by the five county commissioners who are elected, each from their constituents in a specific district. It's very similar to a city manager position. 
but the responsibilities are generally broader mm -hmm. because the county does things by statute that are a lot broader than what most cities get engaged in. Mm -hmm. So you can think of me as the chief executive of the county or the chief administrative officer. Okay. Some counties actually, in other states, label them chief administrative officers or CEOs. Gotcha. So that that's uh, what's entailed. Okay. How much of the kind of decision-making goes through the county commission process and how much is coming from your office? Are you making decisions on what happens or just kind of how things happen? Is that a good way to frame it? What people should understand is that the elected officials who are accountable to the people that elected them are charged with focusing on policy, on creating ordinances and laws that are specific to the county. The role of the county manager and my staff is to basically execute those policies, ordinances, guidelines as established by the elected officials. So with regards to how decisions are made, I'm generally not involved in the decision about whether or not to put a new law on the books here in Washoe County. My role is to advise the commissioners, make sure they have the information they need to make an intelligent decision. Mm -hmm. But because I'm not elected, I'm appointed, those responsibilities rest with the commissioners. Gotcha. And then what is that relationship like between you and the commissioners? You said you advise kind of on things that I'm assuming you would you would like to see. Is that a two-way communication and collaboration process? Or are they just the bosses and you execute what they put forth? Or how does that communication cooperation work directly with the, the commissioners? Well, ideally, yes, it's, <laughs> it's a two-way conversation. What, what about in reality? Um, it depends on the commissioner. Yeah. And so my role is to make sure that whatever the perspective of the specific commissioner that I'm meeting their needs so that they can be effective at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not interested in getting out in front on any particular item or issue. That's not my role. Mm -hmm. Again, my, my role and the role of my team is to make sure that we're supporting the commissioners with either the information they need to make intelligent decisions or once the decisions are made, that we're actually executing them in the manner that they they expect. Gotcha. One of the things that I've heard you describe the county as is, is you are a service provider, right? The job of the right. county is to provide services. Can you give, I mean, it's a very, very long list of services. We'll talk a little bit about the Washoe County Leadership Academy, which is a program that I went through where we basically saw a whole range of things that the county does. Got a little behind the scenes of how it all works. But for people who are not familiar with what county services might include or you might not realize are things that the county does, can you just talk about some of the things that are sure. included in that that package of services the county does? Sure. It, it is a, uh, it's a long list, yeah. right? Uh, it includes things, if you think about animal services, we'll start there mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the safety net organization that takes care of animals that are lost or need to be sheltered. That's an example of a county service. Obviously, gets done in the city of Reno and the city of Sparks, but it's a service that's countywide. If you think about Human Services Agency, which is one of our largest departments within Washoe County as an organization, they do everything from foster care for kids and child protective services in the case of juveniles that are in precarious situations and need to be taken care of and rescued from those situations. 
They also care for seniors. Our senior centers are managed by the uh, Human Services Agency. We also have a, a homeless shelter called Our Place, which is an award-winning shelter that takes care of women and families. In addition to the Human Services Agency, we also have an organization called our Housing and Homeless Services Group. So separate from what I just mentioned, mm -hmm. this group is more focused on trying to find supportive housing for folks who are coming out of homelessness and trying to get back into stable, permanent housing. Mm -hmm. This is the group that also runs the CARES campus that has gotten a lot of attention and press over right. the last couple of years, which houses on any given night 650 or so homeless individuals. This is what we call a low barrier shelter. Anyone can be admitted to the shelter so long as they're not uh, committing crimes or, mm -hmm. or using a banned substance. Very different than the Our Place shelter I mentioned before, where you, you have women and, and children vulnerable populations mm -hmm. where we're more restrictive in terms of who goes there. We also manage the courts. Now, the courts are mm. a separate branch of government, uh, obviously the judicial branch, but uh, here in the state of Nevada, the counties are responsible for the court facilities and the support in terms of HR policies, financial policies, those kinds of things, oh, okay. to make sure that the courts can be managed properly. We uh, have a, a regional parks team. Mm -hmm. We have a regional uh, roads team that oh, maintains. Like clearing, the, clearing the snow and filling the potholes? Snow plows, potholes, all that. A lot of people don't know about 40% uh, of the county's roads. If you go up into the northern regions of the county, up towards Gerlach and Burning Man and all that, are unpaved. Mm. So uh, those of us who are down here, in Reno and Sparks and inside the McCarran Loop, think about the paved roads, but we also have unpaved roads that the county has to maintain. The Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Mm. Uh, so obviously you have Reno PD, you have Sparks PD that primarily focused on those jurisdictions. The County Sheriff's Office uh, focuses on the areas of the county that are not within Reno, not within Sparks, although they do have the ability to enforce laws uh, mm -hmm. in in those in those jurisdictions. So there's just a lot of different social service needs that any community would have that the county takes care of. Mm -hmm. Is there a goal of letting people know more of what the county does versus if things are working well, then people shouldn't see and it should just be behind the scenes and oh yeah, everything works great. It's uh, you know like magic, the trash gets picked up or whatever. Is that part of your job is to communicate about what the county does, let people know so that they can be grateful for the services that we have instead of just assuming that it happens by magic. Kind of what's the communication piece around letting people know what the county does versus just getting it done so that people don't have to think about it? Yeah, it, uh, we do have a communications team. It's uh, a great group. It's run by uh, our communications director, Nancy Lewenhagen. And their job is to make sure that the public has access to the information they need to understand how the county can help them in whatever needs they may have. I don't know that we are as proactive in tooting our horn or, or telling people all of the things we do. You know, it's a double-edged sword. The feedback we get and the research we do shows 
that can be a benefit and that can be aggravating to folks. Mm. So what we try to do is focus on the most uh, highly sought after services that people are looking for. There's a lot of confusion in a community like ours. Do I call the city of Reno? Do I call the city of Sparks? Do I call the county? Mm. And depending on what service it is, the answer is different. We try to make sure we work with our partners in Reno and Sparks so that whatever door you knock on, whatever number you call, any door will get you to where you need to go. It's a bit of a challenge when you're trying to figure out what your marketing strategy should be or your your public relations strategy should be about county services. Mm -hmm. You mentioned kind of Reno does some stuff, Sparks does some stuff, the county does some stuff. How do you deal with those jurisdictional conflicts? Like, when do you know what's the county's responsibility and what's the city's responsibility? Is that all just based on where the the line on the map is? Or are those things kind of negotiated in different ways? What does that look like working with the various like yeah. local and regional governments? Yeah, it's pretty much determined by the geographical boundaries of the cities versus the county, but not always. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so confusing for the public. That's one of the reasons that the county years ago instituted Washoe 311. So anybody can dial 311 in the region. And we have a call center with folks that actually answer the phone and uh, can help guide you to the right resource. So if you're, let's say, a business owner or you're starting a business and you want to know where do I have to go to get a business license, that may not be immediately apparent to you. You may think, You live in the city of Sparks, but you're actually in the unincorporated areas of the county. Hmm. That's an example of, I don't know that anybody would automatically know that. We would hope and encourage folks to call 311 and those folks could help walk you through it. Gotcha. What are the major priorities that you have? So you've been in this role for what, like three-ish years now, three, four? Yeah, about three and a half years. Gotcha. So what are the big priorities that you want to personally focus on that, that are your pet projects or ideas? Uh, We still have a lot of work to do on the homeless front. We're in um, finishing stages of working on the CARES campus, which I I mentioned earlier, which um, has been very successful at allowing the region to get a handle on our homeless populations. Federal law, case law states that it's not illegal for people to be homeless and, and be on public land on the streets. But if you are making an attempt to get them off the streets, you have to have a bed for them to go to. That was the impetus for the city of Reno, city of Sparks, and the county coming together to put together the CARES campus that I mentioned. It started with a big sprung structure, we call it. It looks like a tent, big white tent. It's not a tent. Hmm. It's an aluminum frame building. It started with that, a place that we could safely put people and get them out of the elements, get them off the streets. We're now moving to phase two and three. Uh, Phase two is a resource center because we know that uh, just putting people in a shelter without offering them the wraparound services they need, which could be case management, could be behavioral health resources, could be uh, substance use uh, resources. You need to do all of that in order to have a good solution if we're trying to deliver people back to a situation where their lives are stable and they're housed again. Mm -hmm. So we're building a resource center and you will see that campus evolve into more than just a single shelter, but a place where 
the community resources can be sourced. Um, folks in the shelter will have access to them on, on a more accessible basis. The third phase will be we're actually, we've contracted with a, a developer to do what we call supportive housing. So supportive housing is a subset of affordable housing. When we say supportive, we know there are people who will be coming out of the shelter looking for permanent housing, but they will still need some form of assistance, whether it's, again, substance use or behavioral health counseling or case management. So uh, supportive housing provides that layer of services for people who are coming out of the shelter uh, and not quite ready to live on their own, so mm-hmm. to speak, we will have services in supportive housing that we're putting on the west side of the CARES campus. It'll be about a 120 units. So a um, lot of work to be done there. We're off to a great start, and uh, we're learning more every day. Mm-hmm. I think beyond that, priorities at the county really are around affordable housing. So I talked about supportive housing, affordable housing, we're more focused along with the city of Reno and the city of Sparks on for those folks who have jobs, maybe they're at the entry level of the workforce or their wages aren't as high as some others. How do we make sure that there's always uh, an adequate supply of apartments and homes that they can afford to move into? That is a a big issue here. Anybody who's lived here more than 10 minutes knows that. And uh, so we're working with the commissioners to explore what are the things that the county can do to encourage more affordable housing or workforce housing that uh, people at the lower end of the wage scales would be able to afford to get into. Mm-hmm. That is that is a big focus for the county. Yeah, what are, what are some of those things? Because I know that in Sparks, Mayor Lawson is a big proponent of this lands bill, which creates more land to, to build on in Sparks. Because, you know, he says Sparks is full, basically, and you need more land if you're going to build. Right. And I know Mayor Sheevy a couple of years ago did the thousand homes thing, which like sewer credits to encourage to get shovels in the ground sooner rather than later. What kind of levers does the county have, or what are the the plans for actually moving that housing along? Well, the kinds of things that are being evaluated, uh, the commissioners have been very clear, gave very clear direction to staff earlier this year that they don't want to see penalties. They would rather see incentives. The types of incentives I think you'll see us uh, look at are if you're a developer who commits to provide a certain level of affordable housing, what can we do to streamline your permitting and approval process Mm. to shorten the time that it takes for you to actually get from shovels in the ground to actual completion? Because we know for developers that time is money. When we say incentives, I don't know that uh, you'll see as much of a focus on financial incentives like paying, making payments or waiving fees. You'll probably see some of that, but I think our focus will be, are there things we can do to actually shorten the time frame mm. that you as a developer will be able to actually complete your construction and start selling or renting those homes? Yeah. How does Washoe County compare to other places in the country? Because I follow a little bit of the housing discourse, and I know a lot of times that is a huge frustration, is that it takes 
a very, very long time to to do anything, right. um, either in the private sector with building housing and even in you know the public sector. Everything seems to take a really long time and cost so much more because of these various hurdles and reports and uh, all of the things that go into that process. How does Washoe County do compared to other places in the country? Do you think that we're doing a good job of making it possible to get these projects off the ground? What's your take on our performance right now? Yeah, we spend a lot of time evaluating what other jurisdictions are doing around the country of similar size to, mm-hmm. to Washoe County. And I think we're about average right now in terms of uh, what the requirements are. You know, as you grow as a community and, and you have a larger and larger population, many times that dictates that you got to put in place additional measures to make sure that people's health and property rights are protected mm-hmm. by uh, the development that is to follow. So uh, our situation is very different than, let's say, Story County to the east, which has a, a relatively small residential population and has more of a commercial focus right. to uh, what they're doing. So I don't think we're an outlier in terms of being difficult to deal with or uh, particularly long uh, time frames for a construction to get done. I do think there has to be a more concerted effort to not just by the uh, jurisdictions, not just by Washoe County, Reno, and the city of Sparks, but by the region to managing its affordable housing inventory that's mm-hmm. available because it, it is starting to have an impact on our ability to grow and continue to attract the kind of workforce that we need to see our economy continue to grow. Yeah, I do think that that is a, a common theme in a lot of the conversations I have is that the housing is it's getting very expensive and that's the stumbling block for a lot of the growth of the city. You know, people can't come here if there's no housing to move into. And if the only housing available is so expensive because there's no vacancy anywhere, that's an issue. Um, I have a couple more questions about cares just to go back a little bit. So when the cares campus first started, I know it was a collaborative effort. It was Mm -hmm. Reno sparks and the County. And before that as well, there seemed to be sometimes a little bit of this like hot potato thing of the city saying, oh, well, that's the county's job to deal with homelessness. Like it's not really our purview, but the uh, the Record Street shelter was in mm-hmm. Reno. And I think, I don't know who actively operated that, but there seems to be historically this kind of uncertainty about who's in charge of what. And now since the CARES campus has opened, the responsibility I think has pretty firmly been placed in the county's hands, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about that process of what it was like with some uncertainty. What is it like now? Is it more clear about who's in charge of what? Um, Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Sure. You're right. Prior to 2021, the city of Reno operated the the shelter on Record Street. There was an interlocal agreement between the city of Reno, the city of Sparks, and the county to share cost of operating the Record Street facility, but it was operated by the city of Reno. And we would renew this interlocal agreement with some amendments to cover the cost of the facility, but also maybe some other services that were provided to homeless communities. The shortcoming of that, I think, was that there wasn't as much of an emphasis on the wraparound services that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. It's not enough to just pe- put people in a building and get them out of the cold or out of the heat. Right. You have to have the right resources and expertise to do things like case management and behavioral health and substance use. 
the county had that expertise in our human services agency, but it was sometimes difficult to coordinate properly providing those services to the shelter. And I'm not blaming the city of Reno. It was just the realities of it. Then the pandemic hit in 2020. If you recall, one of the implications of the pandemic was the requirement for social distancing. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the shelter down on Record Street, the social distancing requirements rendered it inadequate for the number of people that, that we had in it. It was at that point that the three jurisdictions came together and used some of the CARES Act money that was made available from uh, the federal government for pandemic-related costs. We used some of the CARES Act money, if you recall, to first, we built an, an outdoor tent down on 4th Street where the CARES campus now is. And we did that just so that we could comply with the social distance requirements for our homeless populations. As we did that, we continued to look at how do we refine this so that we can be more responsive to the needs of this unique community. And the commissioners began talking more seriously about the county taking a lead role. The truth is the county does have access to some funding sources through the state by statute that are not available to the cities to deal with these populations. And so we began conversations with Reno and Sparks about uh, the county taking on sole responsibility for the CARES campus. We already had our place, which I mentioned earlier, is the other shelter we operated for women and families. I think the commissioners at some point became convinced that it would just be easier for the county to operate going forward if we took sole responsibility and focused on leveraging our expertise and resources that we have in our human services agency and and other agencies that we operate. So that's what started. We put our collective uh, CARES Act dollars into the purchase of the property, which is uh, now the CARES campus. I think that was about $17 million or so. Uh, We also shared the cost of uh, erecting the, the initial structure. And then with the county established as the lead agency, the county began looking for other funding sources that could help expand our, our capacity and our ability to uh, do the resource center I mentioned earlier in, in affordable housing. So it has been over the last three years uh, an interesting progression, but we've made a lot of progress. We still work closely with the city of Reno and the city of Sparks, managing the homeless populations in this region. I do want to also point out that a very important part of managing those populations is law enforcement. We're able to get the two police chiefs, uh, Reno police chief and in Sparks, as well as the sheriff to collaborate on forming a hopes team. When we say hopes, these are uniformed officers But their role really isn't to arrest people. It is to help educate folks that are on the streets that there are places they can go to find shelter, to find resources. And uh, if if they choose not to do that, we're probably still going to visit you regularly and politely suggest, uh, you know, that maybe you ought to avail yourself of those resources. It's been very effective. And I, I think the city of Sparks took kind of a leadership role in those tactics. And we now have uh, a team across the three jurisdictions that work to help make sure folks that are on the street, on the river, wherever they might, in our parks, wherever they might be, that they're properly encouraged to to go to a shelter or go to a, a resource that can help them get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Hey there, listeners. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode with County Manager Eric Brown. 
I'm interrupting just briefly to tell you about several events that are coming up, things that you can attend. As you know, we've done live episodes at Black Rabbit Mead the last number of months. It's probably coming up on almost a year now that we've been doing those live episodes. The next one is on July 27th, Thursday, July 27th. It's going to be with Sierra Regional Roller Derby. Should be a really fun episode learning about the sport of roller derby with some of the roller derby folks from here in northern Nevada. Again, that one is on Thursday, July 27th from 7 to 9. Also, on July 7th, that is Friday, July 7th, we're going to have a live event at Reno Little Theater. Next week's episode of the podcast is with Melissa Taylor, who is the executive director of Reno Little Theater. They're doing Seussical, which is a family-friendly Dr. Seuss musical coming up soon. And the second weekend from when that show opens, we're doing a special live post-show event with additional performances. It's going to be a fundraiser for Reno Little Theater. Check out my Instagram for details on that and put it on your calendar. That is Friday, July 7th. And of course, the other couple places to find me are hosting DJ Trivia Nights. I host Monday at Lead Dog Brewing in the Brewery District, Tuesday at Sierra Tap House, Wednesday at Voodoo Brewing, and Thursday at the Brewer's Cabinet Production Facility. Come on and play trivia if you like. It's always fun to see some of my listeners at my trivia events. That is always a lot of fun. And if you play at Sierra Tap House, you might want to vote for us for Best Trivia Night on the Reno News and Review as well, because we were on that list. We won a few years ago, and it was pretty fun. Finally, the other place you can find me is at the Riverside Farmers Market on Sunday mornings from 8 to 1 at Idlewild Park. It's been really great to be there the last few weeks and get to know more folks. I see a lot of friends. I see a lot of listeners of the show. I have t-shirts and stickers and stuff for sale. So come stop by the market. That is every Sunday, 8 to 1 at Idlewild Park. And now back to this week's episode with Wash County Manager Eric Brown. I want to talk a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to the county, too. So most of your work history and career has been in the private sector and, uh, you know, big brands and business and marketing stuff. And is this this, I believe, is your first public sector job? Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that experience of having a long career in the private sector and kind of the work that you were doing before and how that led you to what you're doing right now? Yeah, I, I've been blessed. Uh, I'll just start there. It's been, uh, I can't say that my career path was in any way predetermined by me. <laughs> it, it just kind of, unf- my life has kind of unfolded in a, in, a, in a very positive fashion. So I attended UCLA as an undergraduate with a political science degree, thought I wanted to go to law school, did some internships in, in Washington, quickly understood that I didn't want to go be a lawyer, that the business interests that were coming to D.C. to talk to my uh, congressional representatives were directing policy and how we were going to do things. Mm. And I figured that's what I want to do. I don't want to be taking orders. I'm giving them. <laughs> so I switched and focused on business. I was accepted at the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia, which is a, an absolutely a wonderful program. But one of the toughest things I'd ever done in my life, because it's a case study method school. And for somebody like me, uh, who had never really held down a full-time job, didn't have any work experience, had never had to uh, manage a payroll or anything of that nature to, to go into a program where all of the courses are taught through the case study method. There were no real textbooks that you could go to and study how to do uh, accounting or a uh, finance or some of the other things. It was it was a tough it was a tough experience, but I was able to get through it and um, got hired out of uh, business school to go to work for the Procter and Gamble company in Cincinnati. 
where I worked in uh, consumer brand management on such illustrious brands as Puff's Facial Tissue, Pampers Diapers, White Cloud Bathroom Tissue, things like that. And, you know, for me, I think the most profound benefit of that experience was, again, I had never held a full-time job at that point. I'd been a, a student and a student athlete in college, but I, I hadn't ever really worked anything more than a, a part-time job or during summer breaks or, or spring breaks and things like that. So here I was in an, one of the world's largest uh, organizations and most proficient marketing organization, and they, they were very good at training. So the benefit for me was I learned so much from the training and on-the-job experiences that I got at Procter & Gamble. They taught you things like how to conduct a, a meeting. Mm. They taught you what is the proper business etiquette for taking a phone call or making a business phone call. It was infamous at the time for being the place of the one-page memo. So anything that you are trying to write a recommendation to your bosses to get something done, can you do it in a page or less? I did that for about four years and long enough to find out that I didn't like uh, living in the Ohio Valley. I grew up on the East Coast in Virginia on the Chesapeake Bay. I went to UCLA, as I said, as an undergraduate. So I had always been near oceans. Mm -hmm. uh, this was my first stint in the Midwest. And um, uh, from a lifestyle standpoint, I, I wasn't loving it. So right. I, I decided to start looking for something on the West Coast. Was hired by Starkist Foods, Starkist Tuna, which at the time was based in Long Beach, California. And I came back to the West Coast. And I ran uh, Nine Lives Cat Food with Morris the Cat and all that. Mm. Was there for about three years, got hired away by a competitor, Bumblebee Seafoods down in San Diego, and uh, went to work for Bumblebee. I will tell your listeners, I've worked for Bumblebee. I've worked for Starkist Foods. San Diego is still considered sort of the epicenter of the of the uh, canned tuna industry in the United States. Uh, Bumblebee is the best brand of tuna. <laughs> they they uh, are much more selective about the fish that they take into their facilities, and they do a better job of, of processing it once they get it in the facilities. So anyway, I, I did that for a while, and then I got hired into telecommunications. This was about the time that DirecTV and the uh, satellite television vendors were starting to launch. And the cable television companies at the time realized they were going to have competition for the first time. They really didn't have anybody in their leadership ranks who had ever operated in competitive business environments. They were always monopolies. And so I was hired by Times Mirror Corporation, which at the time was one of the largest cable operators in the United States. And they hired me as their chief marketing officer. My job was to help get them ready for the launch of what was called Direct Broadcast Satellite. Uh, this was uh, in the mid-90s. I think, I think I was with uh, Times Mirror for about a year. And a merger and acquisition frenzy started amongst cable operators because they started to consolidate to get bigger, also as a part of their strategy mm -hmm. to be able to compete against a national uh, organization like DirecTV. Right. Um, and so in a period of about 18 months, the companies that I worked for were sold. It was great for me because I would get a, a package. I'd go away. I'd go to get a job somewhere else that company would be sold. So that happened for about two two or three years. I was in Los Angeles, 
We're now into the early 2000s. I go to work for Charter Communications, and Charter was owned by Paul Allen, one of the founders of Microsoft, for those who don't know. Paul had this, what was called Wired World Vision. So his vision was that the Internet of Things would would evolve to dom- dominate our society. And he was right about that. Where he was maybe uh, wrong was you don't necessarily need a wire now to do everything that was envisioned to happen as a part of the Internet. But anyway, he started buying cable systems all over the country, a lot of them in rural areas. Charter was his cable company. I went to work for Charter I ran the West Coast for Charter, which was seven Western states. And that's how I first started coming to Northern Nevada, because uh, Northern Nevada was one of my markets that I oversaw. Always loved it here. My wife and I back then were thinking, boy, if there were ever an opportunity to kind of wind our careers down, you know, Nevada would be on the list of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northern Nevada would be on the list of places to go. At that time, one of my employees who ran government affairs for me was Marsha Burke Bickley. And uh, Marsha went on to become a county commissioner. Fast forward, basically what ended up happening is I was uh, looking to retire from what I was doing. I ran into Marsha on a golf trip here in Reno about five years ago. She indicated that the county manager at the time had just announced he had to leave to take care of some family issues. And she thought I ought to throw my hat in the ring. I thought she was crazy. I I had no government experience. But I had dealt with enough local governments in the cable TV business because back then your franchises were held by the local municipalities or the cities or the states. So um, I had spent a fair amount of time with uh, local officials all over the West, West Coast. And you, you begin to notice some best practices about those uh, jurisdictions that are well-run versus those that are not so well-run. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I was a little curious that if uh, I could take some of the observations that I had from that experience over seven years or whatever it was running, overseeing cable systems, um, could I take some of those observations and put them into practice? So nobody was more surprised than I was when the commissioners selected me over the other candidates. But I think at the time, it was an affirmation that at least amongst the county commission at that time, they wanted change. Um, they wanted more collaboration with Reno and Sparks, and they said that in my interview. Um, so they were looking for someone who had a demonstrated competency in getting organizations that historically maybe didn't uh, work well together to work well together. Secondly, they wanted a fresh set of eyes on evaluating how they did things, how the county did things, and uh, recommendations on what we could do differently to operate better. In fact, uh, upon my hiring, that was one of the uh, requirements that they made clear that they wanted to see a report back to the board on observations about county operations that uh, could be improved. Mm. Do you think that, that it benefited you coming from the private sector and that that was kind of a set you apart from maybe other candidates who had more government experience? Absolutely. And I think that in the private sector where you have to continually evaluate if you're operating to maximize shareholder value and make some tough decisions, not be uh, necessarily wed to the way we used to do things, mm. that is something that I think clearly I've been able to help bring to the county. And uh, one of the pleasant surprises 
of my first three and a half years has been, I thought I would get a lot more resistance to change here in Washoe County. I can tell you amongst the employees, particularly the leadership of the county from the county department head standpoint, that has not been the case. People have been hungry for ideas about how can we do things better. And that has been refreshing and and something that I've enjoyed. I think the other... (laughs) The other thing is the private sector, you don't worry about the politics of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're being compensated to do what's best for the business in that case. Here, I have to be a little more cognizant of the politics of it because the people I work for, the five commissioners, certainly are impacted <laughs> right. by politics. But that doesn't alter uh, my need to be candid with them about what's best for the county and its citizens, you know, whether the decisions they make about whether or not to institute something is really up to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know that with the political piece in the last couple of years, there's obviously been a lot more, uh, we'll call it uh, active public engagement in some of the political processes. Right. You're seeing a lot more people at county commission meetings. You're seeing, especially with the election a couple of years ago, like weird election denialist stuff. How does all of that affect your job? So obviously the county commissioners are the ones who are on the front lines of having those conversations or hearing those issues. And I know recently they've changed the format a little bit of the meeting because they're getting bogged down by public comment. But as the county manager, how does that kind of dynamic affect the work that you do? If you're sort of separated from the politics of it, but obviously not entirely. Do you have to change the way that you communicate or how does that particular political dynamic affect your job in the last couple of years? The rhetoric has definitely uh, gone up in the last two to three years. That's been unfortunate. I mean, particularly on the elections side of things, we, we actually lost a registrar of voters mm-hmm. here who was, uh, I think, being unfairly attacked. Yeah. Because the, the county runs the elections, right? Counties run, county runs elections. And um, it began to, to have a debilitating effect on her to the point where uh, she decided to move on. It doesn't really impact what the county manager does. It does impact, I think, certainly the commission. And in that regard, I have to be sensitive to it and aware of it. I always feel like, uh, and I say this to the commissioners all the time, you know, I feel like the sixth commissioner because if you're attacking one of my bosses, whether it's something that's valid or whether it's something that's unfounded, I have a responsibility to be aware of that and responsive to that mm-hmm. and uh, constantly ask the question, is there something that my team and I could have done to either communicate better or perform better if there's actually a criticism that is uh, substantiated? Another thing that I know about your background is you've talked a little bit about athletics, and I know you represented the U.S. team in the Olympics, and I watched a video that you did with the county talking about the relay because you did the 4 right. by 100 relay, right? Right which is a it's a team event, right? Even though you're running individually, you are passing the baton. And you talked in that video about the importance of being strategic about working with other people. And even if you're not the fastest person, you can still win, that kind of thing. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience with sports and how that's maybe shaped the way you think about the work that you do now? Sure. I, I think uh, sports has had a um, uh, tremendous impact on my life in helping me become the person I am today. I was fortunate that at an early age, I had some great coaches in uh, high school, even in junior high school, that helped me understand that uh, if I kept my grades up and uh, 
continued to show the kind of uh, dedication to getting better at uh, whatever the sport I was involved in, that there were these things called scholarships and people would actually pay for your college education. And um, I thought that was that was crazy. But uh, I'm the youngest of three kids and I, I'm the youngest by 10 years. And I remember very clearly in high school thinking, you know, mom and dad are about ready to retire. And they were school teachers, so they didn't make a lot of money. And I remember them watching them struggle to pay the bills when my older sister and brother, who were two years apart, were both in college at the same time. And I thought to myself, if I can figure out a way to go to college without them having to pay for it, that's what I want to do. Sports was my ticket to do that. So I attended UCLA on a football and track scholarship back in the days when they would let you do that. They would let you play two sports. I was a a kick returner on the football team and quickly decided to transition to a track scholarship after my, uh, I guess, my sophomore year because my goal was to make the Olympic. Mm. That was really what I wanted to do. Pro football was a consideration, but my passion was really track and field. And to this day, track and field is still my favorite sport. So I was a sprinter. I ran the 100 and 200 meters at UCLA and was fortunate enough to be world ranked uh, every year that I was in, in college. My sophomore year was 1980, which was an Olympic year. The Olympics were being held in uh, Moscow that year. So I transitioned, gave up my football scholarship so I could focus on track and field. And um, I uh, focused on the 100 and 200 meters, um, was, was having a great season. I rem- I'll tell you a story. I remember, and in, in, I'm dating myself, but in L.A. at that time, UCLA, we would run against our arch rivals, USC, every year, and we would get 15,000 to show up for this thing. It was on TV. It was televised. And at the time, Bryant Gumble was the NBC sportscaster mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and he was a big track fan. Bryant shows up at practice one afternoon, which was not unusual. We said, hey, Brian, what's going on? He said, "Um, I came to get you guys' reaction to the press conference. We said, well, what press conference? I guess we thought maybe our coach had a press conference for the UCLA SC track. He said, no, I guess you guys didn't hear. President Carter just had a press conference about an hour ago in D.C., and he's announced we're not going to the Olympics. Mm. The U.S. is going to boycott. So practice just stopped. And uh, mind you, I was... This was the golden age of UCLA track and field. So we had Florence Griffith Joyner, Flo Joe, uh, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Evelyn Ash, Greg Foster. There must have been a dozen Olympians, surefire Olympians mm-hmm. on the field that day. And we're all in tears because, you know, you work so hard. I had getting, given up my football scholarship just to focus on track and field only to have the opportunity taken away through nothing that you could control. And I remember sitting on a bench and thinking to myself, I'm never going to allow this to happen to me again, where I put all my eggs in one basket, don't have any other options. And so I doubled down. I was always a good student, but I really doubled down academically at that point. Got out of UCLA in four years, which nobody does because you're having too much fun (laughs) in Westwood and at UCLA. I continued to run, and, and track and field took me all over the world. I think the story I tell people that also uh, resonates with a lot of folks is, you, you know, um, we all have to be able to deal with adversity and, and unexpected change because it's going to happen in your life at mm-hmm. some point. And I made a video a couple of years ago that some may see. 
I used to compete in the four by 100 meter relay in which four members of that relay team each run 100 meters to complete one lap around the track for folks who are not sports fans. It is one of the most exciting events in track and field. It's chaotic. Um, the team with the fastest four runners does not always win because it's really about passing the baton smoothly from each member to the next. And if you don't do that, you will lose time. Hmm. And so very often the team, like the United States, has uh, historically had problems with baton passes. So our record, particularly the men, has been woefully below what it should be. Um, but there was one meet that we ran against the Russians. Back in those days, you'd do a dual meet USA versus Russia. And uh, the first running event of the meet was the 4 by 100 meter relay. I ran the second leg of the relay. So uh, in order to make sure that the you do your baton pass smoothly, you will see the runners will uh, mark off steps from the beginning of the exchange zone. And generally, they'll put a piece of tape down if they let you. And when the incoming runner hits that tape, you know to take off. Practice this and allows you to have a seamless baton exchange. I did that as we normally did. Race starts. The starter has the gun up in the air. It goes pop. Just as he, as the start gun goes off, I see the Russian athlete in the lane next to me walks over and pulls up my tape that I'd put down to mark off my, uh, so I could have a smooth exchange. And I look around, nobody sees this runner do this. The, the official who's supposed to be monitoring my exchange zone is looking at the start line like everybody else in mm. the stadium. And so there you find yourself with a situation where you don't have the tape. What are you going to do? And I thought to myself, first of all, I feel this rage where I just wanted to run over and beat the guy up. But then I realized that wasn't going to help me achieve the objective I came to do that day because I got less than 10 seconds and my teammates going to be bringing me the baton. Then I got two more teammates who are depending on me to bring them the baton. So I was able to take all that frustration and focus my energies on putting my eyes on the track at the point where I thought the tape was. And when the incoming runner, my teammate, crossed that, I took off. And we did have a seamless exchange, even though I didn't have my tape marker. We won the relay that day. We set an age group world record. And I had the fastest split, they call it, the fastest time of any of our four runners. I was not the fastest of, of our four. I, I say that to people as an example of, at some point in your life, you're going to have a situation where somebody moves your tape. And when that happens, what are you going to do? What's your reaction going to be? Are you going to get upset and start a fight or get profane? And is that really going to help you achieve your objective? Uh, much better if you can find a way to focus your energies on getting the outcome you want. That's an example of how track and field has helped me. Mm -hmm. So Reno's not a... I would say particularly racially diverse city. I know that the, the black population in Reno is what three, three and a half percent, something like that. If that, yeah. yeah. So, so not very much. And I know that you know diversity, equity, inclusion—that's an important thing, both in the private sector and in our government. I know that has been something that has been a focus as well at the county. Can you talk a little bit about you know representation and diversity and that element of your job? Sure. I think diversity, equity, and inclusion are important aspects of what the county manager as a leader 
needs to be focused on. Uh, one of my observations when I first arrived here is that um, uh, the county organization, not the county, but the county organization was not as diverse as it should be in a lot of different ways. You know, you can have diversity of ethnicity, you can have diversity of expertise. There are some things that I think the county has been doing just systemically, historically, that have maybe unintentionally in some cases limited the amount of diversity we have. As an example, if you look at the forms we use to recruit for certain positions, if English is not your first language, uh, some of these are difficult. Even for some of us for whom English is our first language, some of this stuff is difficult. And so we have started the process. First thing we did is we brought the issue forward to the commissioners because we felt like diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, needed to be stated expressly in the county's strategic plan. Everything we do at Washoe County is dictated at some level by the strategic plan. It serves as our framework for what we're going to establish as our priorities and not. And so we we got the commission's support earlier this year, frankly, to include DEI as a core tenant to the strategic plan going forward from the standpoint of folks with disabilities. Certainly, we have some challenges in our facilities that need to be addressed that haven't been for a long time. I was surprised by some of the attitude of some of our folks who uh, just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, well, who's complaining about it? Well, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is the law requires any jurisdiction and any entity that's receiving federal money to be compliant. We aren't compliant. We need to get there. So we're working on that. From a language access standpoint, again, for people for whom English isn't their first language or don't even speak English, do we make a good faith effort in our various channels of communications, our websites, our social media, et cetera, to communicate with those folks? Because it's very important that they receive the kind of information that the county offers. We saw this during the pandemic, by the way, with the health district and some of the messaging they needed to get out about COVID testing or COVID vaccinations or the guidance around uh, mask wearing and that and those kinds of things. We really struggled in the early uh, months to communicate with Spanish-speaking populations, et cetera. So, you know, part of leadership is helping to establish what the priority should be. And if your organization doesn't hear from you that this is important, why should they think it's important? You're going to see the county continue to work on uh, getting better in a lot of different ways and making sure that it's integrated in in what we do as a county. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think kind of ties into inclusion and hearing all different types of people's voices is I think about the rural parts of Washoe County, because this is a very local Reno focused podcast. I am definitely in uh we'll call say an urban enthusiast, right? I am a fan of the the downtowns and yeah. the the density, but Washoe County is a big county that most of it is pretty rural. Uh, it goes all the way up to the very top of the state. So can you talk a little bit about the rural communities too and how the county manages to include 
those people's concerns and how to, uh, you know, allocate resources. You know, you mentioned a lot of roads are not paved outside of the, uh, the closer in parts around Reno. Yeah. So what is the kind of relationship between our more rural parts of Washoe County with the, the systems and kind of the operation that you do? I don't think I mentioned it uh, before, but before I took this job, I ran the telehealth network for the state of California. And my job for about four years was to go around the state of California, primarily to rural communities. And uh, we made arrangements to get them broadband connectivity so that they could use it to zoom in doctors from the urban areas of California, because there are no doctors in Mm -hmm. most rural communities. I say that because I learned through that experience that I have a real affinity for rural communities. And when I got here and took this job during the pandemic, you know, things were shut down, you know, restaurants and bars and stuff were closed. So every other weekend I would go somewhere in the county that I had never been. And it became clear to me that the rural areas of the county felt disenfranchised, uh, to your point about DEI. They felt like nobody at our complex on 9th Street understood them or even cared about them. And I decided that I was going to really take a proactive role at changing those dynamics. I've started actually traveling consistently to meet with these people. They had citizens advisory board meetings, cab meetings, we called them. I made sure that I made every other one of them and listened and acted on the things that they wanted. I made sure that when it comes to policy, we were adjusting our policies as appropriate to meet the needs of people in those communities. As an example, in Gerlach, if you want to open a store or a restaurant, do you really need to go through the same permitting process that we require in the city of Reno or the city of Sparks or down here in the urban areas? Probably not. It's probably overkill. Now, you do need oversight. I'm not suggesting you don't have some. And these people have been asking for this for years. And so we've been able already to make some adjustments in our requirements that are more sensitive to the needs of that community. We're able to get them broadband. Fingers crossed July 15th is the hot off the presses date that we believe will be turning up a fiber optic network to Gerlach for the first time ever. And thanks to the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe, because those folks worked with me and helped give us access to some of their fiber network to make this happen. When fiber shows up in Gerlach, I predict you will see a transformation of that community because I've seen it happen in other communities when I was with the telehealth network, et cetera. It just opens up a whole host of opportunities from an education standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint that those people don't have access to right now. You know, there are other communities around the county. People don't think of uh, Incline Village as a rural community, but it might as well be. There's a mountain between them and the Mm -hmm. city of Reno. It's a very affluent community, certainly, but it's not without its challenges with regards to workforce housing and and right. uh, traffic and, you know, how do we keep the lake and the area beautiful and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So uh, here again, spending a lot of time with those folks working with the commissioner there, Chair Hill, to make sure that they're being heard. And, you know, I, I think a lot of what I do has to continue to be focused on how do we make the county better? And uh, the rural communities, you know, I think have been led to believe that at a larger level, the county doesn't care. We do care. And so I'll continue to focus on those issues in rural areas. 
Yeah, I mentioned that I did the Washington County Leadership Academy, yeah. and one of the days we went up to Gerlach and learned a lot about what is happening up there and kind of the plans for up there, too. I haven't talked about Burning Man on the show for quite a while now, but one of the challenges they have is it's a tiny town with almost no, you know, there's no right. uh, grocery store. There's one restaurant, maybe, and there's you know, 80,000, 100,000 people that come through just for, you know, a very short period of time. Yeah. So that is something I'm curious to see is what's going to happen in the future, as I know Burning Man has a lot of plans to do more active growth up there and try to make it more of a year-round destination. I don't really have a question there, but I think it's just kind of an interesting thing that is happening outside of just the Reno area here in the county that I imagine you and the folks at the county have a little more investment and kind of information about generally are you excited about growth in washoe county i know people i i always say i want people to come here it's you know that means that you're doing something right if people want to move here can you just talk a little bit about generally the the growth of washoe county people moving here both to the city area and out to the rurals yeah i i think prospects for continued growth are, are very strong so long as the dynamics are that our neighbors to the west keep doing the things that they're doing in terms of high taxes and government regulation of various aspects of what people do and how they live. Uh, I always joke that there's this giant sucking sound coming up I-80 of all the folks moving here from the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. As expensive as homes have become, it's still a great deal versus what they can afford there. I know I moved here from San Diego from Southern California. And um, same thing, I, I got here and I, I can remember looking at my closing statement when my wife and I bought the house and I I just had this big smile on my face because I had bought homes all over California and it was very different. I, I do think going back to the affordable housing discussion we had earlier, we got to figure that out. Whether that's all in Washoe County or it spills into neighboring counties like Douglas or Story or uh, Lyon, long term, we're going to have to figure that out. And part of the process for how we do that, figure that out, is going on right now with the whole Envision 2040. So Envision 2040, if people haven't heard of it, you can go to the county website and look it up. It is the update to our uh, county master plan. And the county master plan is the document that we use to set up how the county will grow or develop uh, going forward. Within it, there are area plans for different regions of the county, like Incline Village and Gerlach, as I mentioned earlier, or Sun Valley or Spanish Springs. And we have been surveying people, I guess we've done over 1,200 surveys over the last couple of years to understand what do they like, what do they not like, what do they want to see more of, what do they want to see less of. It should be no surprise that what they like is uh, just the aesthetic beauty, uh, the natural amenities that this area has to mm -hmm. offer, the mountains, the lakes, hiking, yeah. skiing, all those things that you can do. They like uh, the climate here. This winter accepted it. It, it. It's perceived to be moderate, and uh, uh, folks like that. What they don't like is uh, our transportation challenges. That comes up number one, loud and clear, that whether it's I-80 or whether it's 580, 395, 
or the major thoroughfares here in town, as we have grown, they the roads have not kept up with mm-hmm. that. Our challenge is that uh, many of those roads are state controlled, but I won't get into that here because we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on that. But we know that that's, that's a challenge. We know that housing is a challenge. And so there's this conundrum of, I love it here. I think our transportation and our roads uh, haven't kept pace with growth. And so, okay, does that mean you want the community to continue to grow or do you not want it to grow and therefore don't build more roads because you Mm -hmm. know if you build it they'll come right it's a very interesting uh and depending on where you are in the county and how old you are and how long you've been here you know the folks who've been here a long time are more apt to say that's enough growth right (laughs) i'm here put the fence up don't Uh let anybody else in people who are more recent arrivals here will say no, this is great. You know, let's figure out, let's mm-hmm. figure this out and how we can continue to foster growth. But again, those are things my bosses have to deal with. Right. Yeah. I, I lived in Portland for a few years. I grew up here in Reno, then moved away and I lived in Portland for a few years. And I think like the official motto of Portland when I was there was like, go back to California. It was a very unwelcoming environment because there was the same kind of thing. And where a lot of people, I mean, this isn't a new thing that people are moving from California to lower cost of living places. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see that a lot here in Reno, too, yeah. where there seems to be, again, I'm a generally a pro-growth person. So I'm like, OK, well, how do we figure out how to to make it work? Right. If we can't build the roads fast enough, how do we add the buses? How do we do the public transit? You know, if we need more housing, how do we build the more housing rather than trying to pretend we can stop people from yeah. coming to Reno? Because, yeah. I mean, we want more people to come to Reno, in my opinion, that's, you know, it's more money, it's more people, it's more ideas, it's more diversity. There's a lot to to gain from, I think, people coming to this area. I mentioned the Washington County Leadership Academy a mm-hmm. couple of times, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about that, too, because I think it's really, really cool. I had a great experience. I'll give the super short version. Basically, this last year, last summer, I applied for it, and it was a program where one full day a month for, I think it was eight months, Right. there was a group of us, I think it was 25 or so, 25 to 30, something like that. And we went to learn about different operations of the county. So we did, you know, we went to the water reclamation facility and learned how they, you know, manage mm-hmm. the water. We went to the sheriff's department. We went to the fire department. We went to animal control. We went to the elections department and saw how the machines work. So all of this behind the scenes stuff. And it was really eye opening for me to be able to just, you know, see behind the scenes of all of the different aspects of what the county does. So can you just talk a little bit about how that program came to be and what the the goals are for it? Sure. Uh, The Washoe County uh, Leadership Academy came from direction from the commissioners a couple of years ago. They were voicing frustration about the uh, low level of awareness, their perception that there was a low level of awareness within the community on how local government works. And this would manifest itself by people coming to chambers and complaining about something that, for instance, should have been directed to the school district Mm. or the health district or whatever. And so they asked staff if we could put together a leadership academy or, or a series of sessions, invite a class or a cohort of community members to participate in these sessions with the objective of helping to improve their understanding of how local government works. 
you were a participant in the inaugural class. Thank you mm -hmm. for applying. I will tell you, uh, your class exceeded everybody's expectations in terms of uh, participation, enthusiasm, uh, feedback that we've received has been fantastic. I've run into people all the time uh, who are in your class who will introduce me to people and uh, talk about the Leadership Academy. One of the things we hope will happen as a result of this is that we will see a broader participation in county uh, government. By that, I mean things like citizens advisory boards or commissions or uh, committees, planning commission, board of adjustment. There are all these opportunities for local citizens to participate or contribute to how the county is run. Most people don't know about them. We have 3,100 employees at, at the county. I do new employee orientation every month with the new employees that come in. So we'll probably have, you know, 30 or 40 uh, individuals. I always ask them, how many of you know who your county commissioner is? If I get three out of 30, that's pretty good. So that that's what we're trying to accomplish with the Leadership Academy. And um, we're looking forward to opening up year two here shortly here in June and um, continuing to make improvements based on input we've heard from, from your inaugural class and future classes to make it better. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I had a really great experience with it. So I'm very glad that that is an option for people. So anyone who's listening who thinks that uh, it would be beneficial to them, I encourage you to to learn more and check it out because I had a, a great experience. And also it was one of the things I appreciated about it was the variety of people that participated. Right. So it was people from all different industries in different levels. So we had, you know, I'm a local media person, I guess, but we also had someone from the CARES campus. We had someone from, I think, like the gaming board. We had a firefighter from the, uh, I think, North Lake Tahoe Fire District from um, a whole variety. We had someone from Gerlach, right? Yes, we did. That's, <laughs> so that's, that's right. it, was, it was nice to have this wide variety of people uh, from all different kind of walks of life and getting the opportunity to see how each of us interact with the county in different ways. We all have different experiences of, oh, I know I know this part, or I've been to this place before. So I also appreciated that aspect of it, that it wasn't just you know politically oriented people right. or people who already had a background in government. It really was kind of a great variety of people to get to know along the way. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that it resonates with you. Again, it was uh, we, the response just in terms of applicants last year was overwhelming. We didn't anticipate that. And we actually had to grow the size of your class beyond what we originally intended because the strength of the applications was so strong, it was hard to say, well, who are we not going to have mm. in? So uh, any of the listeners, check it out because it's, it's an experience I think that you would find will be well worth your time. And if last year was any indication, it'll be a strong field of applications we have to choose from. Excellent. What did we miss? What else do you want people to know about the work that you do or what's going on in the county? Are there any topics that you think we uh, forgot that we need to make sure people know about? One thing I, I would probably touch on that I think I missed, you asked earlier what my uh, priorities are right now. And I, I mentioned uh, finishing up uh, the CARES campus and, and uh, expanding the homeless services piece. There really are two other things that, that are top of mind that 
I've been uh, discussing with the commissioners. One is elections. So I'd be remiss if I didn't address that. The registrar voters, one of the things that I did after the 2020 election was I reorganized my group so that the registrar voters actually reports directly to me. And that may seem obvious to everybody, but it, there was another reporting sh- relationship before that that, that that didn't matter. We here in Washoe County, and indeed in talking to my peers in 15 other counties, because Clark County uh, is in a different place from an election standpoint. We are generally working with infrastructure, technology infrastructure for elections that is obsolete. This is like having a computer or a computer software platform. Think about Windows that Microsoft doesn't support anymore because your version is so old. That's where we are from an election standpoint. And we have been working with the state to address that. These are massive investments uh, that you got to make. And you better know what you're doing because if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. It goes very wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying that because the listeners, uh, as we get closer to the presidential primary in the first quarter next year, you're going to hear more about this. State of Nevada has confirmed it is moving forward with what it calls its top-down approach. Top-down means since our rural counties are so small and generally don't have the resources or the expertise from a technology standpoint to do a lot of these things, the state is taking it over. Mm. You can feel good about that. You could be nervous about that. You should be nervous. Uh, And so, again, Clark County is kind of on an island by itself. They have the software, the technology platform that we're all migrating to. The question is... Can the rest of us get this done before the presidential primary? And uh, we're working real hard on that. Secondly, within elections, we brought in a consultant, which was somewhat controversial, but really to look at our piece of it, what the county can do to run our elections operationally better. And one of the things we suspected that has now been confirmed, we have been woefully understaffed. And we need to address that. We will address that. But just know that the whole issue of elections will take up a huge amount of our bandwidth going forward. And then the final thing I I would just say is uh, we continue to focus on uh, trying to uh, improve service delivery. So as the county gets bigger and there are more people here, we're now over a half million people, you have to continually reevaluate how you deal with people. Are you accessible? When people do get a hold of our employees, are we being uh, empathetic if they have a problem? Are we being courteous if if you, the caller, are having a bad day and I'm having a bad day? And when you, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want our listeners to know we. Um, I think our employees do a great job, um, but you can always do better. And so there's this service delivery piece that we're continuing to work on to try to. Uh, to be better in that regard. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always like to have at least a couple kind of local, uh, political is not the right word, but local kind of like government officials on the show. Because I think a lot of people, myself included, before I did the Leadership Academy, and even still, don't know a lot of what 
local and county sure. government do. And one of my goals with the show is to have kind of like a little bit of an educational component, the, the one-on-one level of like, yeah. what is this position? What does this government do? So being able to talk to you directly about what a county manager does and how that is reflected in what the county does, I think is really valuable for me personally and hopefully for a lot of listeners too. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Listeners, thank you, as always, for tuning in to Renoites. I really appreciate your support and listenership. Do me a favor if you enjoy the show and help spread the word. I always say this at the end of the episode. Word of mouth means everything to a project like this. Seriously, just sharing a post on social media reaches so many more people than you realize. People who don't even know the show exists yet. Tens of thousands of daily podcast listeners in the Reno area, and I can't reach them all without your help. So tell your friends and family, spread the word. It really does make all the difference for a show like this. Also, if you wanted to support the show financially, you can do so very easily on Patreon. I have a Patreon account that lets you donate on a regular monthly basis. You can go to patreon.com slash renoites or just click the link in my Instagram bio. You can sign up for as little as $3 a month. I call that the tip jar level. Basically, if you appreciate the work that I'm doing and you have three bucks a month to spare, that's like a cup of coffee or so, it really makes a huge difference and lets me know that you appreciate the work that I put into this show. Again, that's patreon.com slash renoites. If you want to make a one-time donation, there's also a link in my Instagram bio to just send me a couple bucks where you can... Venmo at Renoites. Happy to take your money. This show takes a whole lot of time and a little bit of money to produce, so everything you contribute really is appreciated. Thank you so much. And that's all we've got for you this week. Next week's episode is with Melissa Taylor, the executive director of Reno Little Theater, and we'll be talking about Reno's theater scene, about local theater, about the importance of different types of theater, the art of performing in front of a live audience, which obviously is something that I do on the podcast. It was really great to talk to her. We hadn't done an episode about theater in Reno yet after 100 episodes, so it was good to get that done. And again, mark your calendar. July 7th, we are doing a live event at Reno Little Theater. You can get more details on that on my Instagram at Renoites. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.